The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Hello. <laughs> Hi. It's so great to be here. Um, I thought I would start off by asking you a question. And what I'd like you to do, this isn't a question I'm going to ask for you to respond to, but actually just um, for you to actually pay attention to your internal response. And I realize that there's probably a variety of uh, years of experience in this room. So if you are brand new to this practice, um, this might... This question may not pertain to you quite yet, um, so you can just use this time to listen and maybe just see what thoughts do come up for you when I ask. Um, so if you'd like uh, to close your eyes, if that helps you really pay attention to yourself, get in touch with what's going on for you right now. And it's a very simple question. The question is, what is your practice? What is your practice? And just notice what comes up. What ideas, stories. Okay. And then you can open your eyes. And I'm going to be talking about practice and the ideas that are formed around defining what practice is. And um, I know that when I'm often asked, what is your practice? What is your meditative Buddhist practice? I instantly jump on, well, I sit in the mornings. I have a sitting practice and sometimes I go on retreats and that's my practice. Um, I'll do a day long here and there, and, and that's my practice. I show up to the Berkeley Buddhist Monastery where there's a Thursday night sit very much like this, and that's my practice. And I've been exploring lately for myself, just exploring what really is my practice. What does it mean to practice? And seeing that Defining it as looking a certain way or showing up to certain places um, to call myself a practitioner is very limiting, but also very important piece of my practice. So I'm going to talk about formal practice and the importance of that and then hope to open that up into uh, to the idea of bringing practice out into your life as a way to actually relate to the world, using practice to mm, communicate to others, using practice to... just function in society. So we'll come back to that 
in just a moment. And we'll start with formal practice because I think that formal practice is a way for us to come back to ourselves. We, we just sat for about 30 minutes and I know for me that was just a wonderful way to remind myself that in this present moment, what's going on for me in this present moment is actually quite still, pretty relaxed, not a lot going on, where the rest of my day I might be, you know, planning something over here and then having all these conversations over here and emails and driving and it's kind of crazy. And so having that formal time, that formal meditation time, uh, is a way to really come back to ourselves. And there's a lot of different ways that we can practice uh, formal meditation. In the insight tradition that's mostly practiced here, um, it's mostly coming back to your breath, using the breath, uh, sometimes your body, sensations in your body, sometimes even listening, listening meditation, using those things as an anchor for your, for your mind to, to, um, using those things as a place for your mind to rest in. And then what we quickly realize is that Our mind doesn't really want to do that. Our mind wants to go over here and start thinking about things that it's going to do the minute the bell rings. (laughs) You know, I I know that for me, I'm constantly planning things that I'm going to do next. Even even while I was just sitting here, I was thinking, oh, I should add this in my talk and da 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 da, and I'm supposed to be representing something up here, (laughs) but my mind's going all over the place, too. And uh, if it's not going into the future, you know, it's remembering things. You know, what did I do earlier today, and should I have said that, and I should have taken the other route, I would have gotten here faster, that sort of thing. And uh, so this is just the nature of mind. This is just what the mind does. We don't have any control over it. But we come to practice because we are actually training our mind to function in a more mindful way. So just like exercising any muscle in the body, we have to train through repetitively coming back to this moment, trained to create a healthy, uh, a healthy mind, a mind that's more still, more present. And this takes us coming back over and over and over again, and that's why it's called practice. Because the first time you sit down to meditate, it's you know, it's not going to sit still. The second time you come to meditate, your mind is not going to sit still. And I've been doing this for five years, and my mind 
doesn't sit still very long. And it's just this ongoing practice. So we're practicing to become more mindful. So to be mindful, mindfulness. Mindfulness means to be with whatever is going on right now. To be in the present moment. It doesn't mean to change anything or try to make things the way you think they should be or you think that the person next to you thinks they should be. It's just being with what is. But our minds really are not that interested in that. And so we have to be patient with our minds. We have to be compassionate with our minds. I, um, as Maureen said, I, I'm a teacher, a mindfulness teacher in Oakland Public Schools, uh, elementary schools. And I'm teaching these kids with a couple other teachers. I'm teaching them mindfulness. And one of the lessons that we do is uh, paying attention to our thoughts. And uh, the lesson is called Past, Present, and Future. And so we get in our mindful bodies, <laughs> and I have them pay attention to their breath. And we usually do that right at our stomach because it's easy for them. Kids seem to tend to breathe more out of their stomach than adults. So we pay attention to the movement of our stomach. And I have them try to keep their attention there, but if they can't, to pay attention to what their thought is that comes up. And notice if it's a past thought or a future thought. So we, I have them do this for about half a minute. And then at the end I say, now raise your hand and tell me if you're able to stay with your breath the whole time. And most of the kids put their hands up. <laughs> I go, okay. <laughs> tell me then if you had a future thought. And most of those kids put their hands up. <laughs> and they're very excited about it. And I say, oh, okay, well then tell me if you had a past thought. And, you know, the other half will put their hands up. And I said, oh, wow, so you were very mindful that you had a thought. Tell me, what did you think? And all their hands up, oh, Miss Kate, I was thinking about soccer later, and I was thinking about what's for lunch. And and they're so excited that they notice their thoughts. It's so exciting. And I think as practitioners, we we tend to lose that excitement. I think we get impatient when that thought arises, we judge it. Oh, I'm having another thought again. You know, I'm supposed to be breathing and I'm supposed to be sitting here so mindfully. And we, we get impatient with ourselves. And that's, and it's actually a, a, a wonderful reminder to me when I'm watching these kids who have no judgment with the fact that they just had that thought but excitement and curiosity as to where did that even come from. It's a reminder to me that as a practitioner, no matter how long I've been practicing, that's really what it's about. It's just, wow, 
I just had a thought again. It's really exciting. I get to actually notice it instead of getting caught in it or having one just go through its process without me even noticing it, which is the state that most of us are in when we're not being conscious. So having the patience and the curiosity while we are practicing is very important and something that's so easily forgotten. And I think that it's something that we do so easily in all aspects of life. It's we're just so hard on ourselves, especially in this culture. So hard on ourselves. We're our worst critic. So we can really use this time of practice in our formal meditation, this practice of patience, to begin to practice patience in everything in our lives. Being patient when things just aren't going the way that you wanted them to. Things aren't going the way you think they should go. I have a mindfulness bell, a little reminder, whenever I think to myself, well, it should be this. It should be this way. It shouldn't be that. When I start to should, (laughs) it's just a reminder to me. I can usually catch it. Sometimes I don't, and I just kind of fall over myself in it. But there's no shoulds. There's no way that this practice is supposed to look. There's no way that this mind is supposed to be behaving. It just is. We don't have control over it. We don't have control. We barely have control over anything in life. Things just happen in whatever way that they decide to manifest. And we take part in it. But trying to hang on to some idea of what things are supposed to be like I think it it really hinders our learning experience, our opening experience in this practice. There's nothing to learn if you think you already know it. If you already know the way it should be, there's nowhere to go from there. Although, other than maybe a lot of dukkha, a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, hanging on to that idea of, well, practitioners should be this way. Throw it out. Let it be a mindfulness bell. One example that's coming up for me right now is um, for the last four months, I've actually been really, I've been dealing with this physical illness. Um, picked up a little something when I was traveling overseas. And so I've been really weak and sick and not able to get up and sit and have 
much of a daily practice and not able to really be as mindful as I would like to be, not able to connect as much as I usually do with the people I love, the people around me. So I just wasn't feeling that good. And this was really hard. I was so hard on myself. And here I am, laying in bed, thinking, I've got to get up. I've got to sit. And I'm just exhausted, totally exhausted. I'm thinking, I'm, you know, I'm in this for awakening. And here I am laying in bed and getting really hard on myself. And there was a point when I realized that it just wasn't helping me at all and that what I really needed was to sleep in. What I really needed was to take care of myself and that that was my practice. My practice was not to go and sit formally. It was to be really kind to myself, to really listen to myself, to be mindful of what was actually going on in that moment. So be careful of shoulds. They're they're painful. So with this understanding of not knowing, of patience, of curiosity, we can really begin to take our practice off of the cushion. Take it into everything that we do. There's a woman, uh, Deepama, in Calcutta, India, who was an amazing practitioner, relentless, relentless, and uh, very inspiring. And people would come from all over. Um, a lot of our major, the major teachers in this community, like Jack Cornfield and Joseph Goldstein, would go see her. Um, Sharon Salzberg, um, and and they saw what she was doing in the community, which was teaching the local uh, people in Calcutta how to be mindful. And these were people who were working almost all day just to pay rent. Um, they had big families they were taking care of. They didn't really have time for formal meditation. And this was not a problem. This was not a problem. And so she would teach them to do things like stir the rice mindfully, walk to the, to the market mindfully, relentlessly be mindful of everything you do, holding your children, she would say. Be mindful. Just be mindful all the time. And then it's no problem. (laughs) You don't have to sit. And of course, this is something that isn't an easy instruction. But there is something in the way that she taught it that um, her followers did what she said. And 
they became incredible practitioners and barely sat. And so with that kind of spirit of being able to take practice into whatever we're doing, um, you know, it could be interacting with family, it could be conflict, your practice could be something creative, music, walking down the street, walking into the meditation hall. It could be sipping a latte at Starbucks around the corner. It's It doesn't have to look like anything. It could be building community. It could be connecting with a stranger. It could be sitting in traffic. Mindfulness doesn't have to start and stop in the meditation hall. The point of the practice is to, I think, ground yourself here and continue it as you walk out the door. But I don't know that it's talked that much about. But I think it's actually something that starts to naturally develop as we start bringing what we're learning on the cushion. This patience, compassion, maybe a deeper understanding of impermanence. And we start applying it naturally in the things that we do. But there is something to be said for intentionally bringing this practice into everything that we do. Recently, um, well, myself and four other people are teachers at a new sitting group in Berkeley called the Saturday Night Sangha. And um, recently, um, I did a kind of a very short, brief talk on on practice and what is practice. And we did this really fun exercise. It's a smaller group than this, so we were able to do this. But um, I had <laughs> I had people for about 10 minutes doing little kind of mindless activities that we might do all the time. And, you know, I had some people tying and untying their shoes over and over again. I had some people opening and closing doors. Uh, some people were folding and unfolding blankets. And they were just given this task, and I just said, do it mindfully and see what happens. And then we all came back, and I said, okay, well, how was that? And one woman said she felt this intimate connection with the door that she was opening and closing. Another man said that he noticed these thoughts arise about his father as he was folding and unfolding the blanket because he was doing it in a meticulous way that he knew came from his father, and he was mindful of the thought that came up and the emotions that followed with that connection. And each person had this story of just feeling connected with whatever simple task they were given to do. And it was really quite amazing. 
I, w- I actually wasn't expecting that <laughs> at all. It was really sweet that just within 10 minutes, everyone really felt connected. No one was bored. No one reported boredom. No one reported even disliking whatever their chore was, which if I just said do this and it was out of a, in a totally different context, I don't know, it might have been boring and pointless and why am I spending my time doing this or, you know, I would have much preferred to fold those blankets than tie my shoes or, you know, it's, we get so caught up in, in everything but what is going on. And it was just this wonderful example of we can be, we can really use this practice in everything we do. There's no limit to it. It's limitless, this practice. I know that I've heard um, um, Andrea Fellow, uh, she was actually one of my first meditation teachers when I first got started. And um, I remember her telling me that I, I really wanted to bring my practice off the cushion and said, I just, I can do it when I'm here, but when I leave, I feel like the mindfulness just disappears. <laughs> I don't know what happens to it. And she said, just start small. She said, start with when you answer a phone, let it ring three times and then pick up the phone and let those three rings be your mindfulness bell. Allow yourself to arrive. Allow yourself to find the breath. Allow yourself to pick up that phone really mindfully and listen to whoever's on the other end, knowing that you have no idea what's going to come when you answer it. Another suggestion was every time you touch a doorknob, every time you open a door, allow yourself to really feel the knob. Allow yourself to then feel yourself in your body and connect with your breath and allow it to be your mindfulness bell. And these became little practices for me and they were completely transformative. Just these simple little things that I do, you know, maybe 50 times a day, opening a door, picking up a phone, and you can be creative with it and start doing it for yourself. Explore, explore with it. You know, this is your practice. This is actually all about you. <laughs> it's going to work for you different from its, from anybody else in the room. So don't feel like your practice and whatever you end up doing with it has to look like anybody else's. It's just what works. And then there's times that it doesn't work and we totally forget. <laughs> And we get lost, and we do stupid things, and we make the wrong choices. A friend of mine uh, recently um, went to a talk by a nun. There's actually a group of them, a group of nuns who are staying in San Francisco right now. And they're part of the Ajahn Chah lineage, um, who's a, a great Thai master. Um, and they're actually coming from London. 
there's a, a couple of monasteries in London. And the nuns are here to see if they can start a monastery here in the Bay Area. And so a friend of mine went to go see them, see them and uh, listen to their, to their Dharma talk. And um, um, one of the nuns said that, like our sitting practice, when we lose our way, we can keep coming back. So like our sitting practice, when we lose our way, we can keep coming back. And this really struck her because she was going through a really hard time, a major breakup, um, and uh, just was feeling really lost, didn't know what was going on, and it was just, it was her mindfulness bell that, oh, it's I get to try this again. <laughs> I get to come back and keep going and try a different way. And just like our practice in life, we can just keep coming back. It's all trial and error. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to forget about our morals, our values. But you can come back to them. And that's part of the practice. So you just keep coming back, just like the breath. Your mind will wander. And then you come back. And that's something that in Buddhism, I feel there's a great structure built um, between the, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. It's called the refuge, taking refuge in these three things is for exactly that, something to come back to, something to support you when when we lose our way. So we can come back to our guides, our teachers. We can come back to the teachings, the formal practice, the Dharma. We can come back to our peers, our support networks, our Sangha. And then we get to get up and do it again and try again. So I think I'll actually stop there. So I'd like to have some time for questions and comments. And I think we have a mic that gets passed around. Yeah. And I'd love to hear from other people. Um, Anything that came up, any ideas, it doesn't have to be a question, experiences, practicing, um, disagreements, (laughs) I welcome it all. (laughs) Um, Thinking about bringing the mindfulness to everyday things, or your, I guess, more mundane things. Mm Um, something that has stuck with me that um, I went to um, one of the day-longs at Spirit Rock and um, 
the person leading it was saying, and it's, this thing just sticks in and it's like helped me to kind of do that. He said, you have to perforate the solidity of a claustrophobic day. <laughs> and I was just like, wow, because sometimes it feels like that. I'm at work and everything's happening and I have to do all these things and it just feels like this wall of impossibility to even yeah. be mindful when everything's going on. Yeah. And he said, you know, it's just those little moments that just one little moment can make a difference. You just poked a hole in that huge wall. And um, that's just something that just sticks with me. Yeah. And um, then you just reinforce it, and it just feels good. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's really amazing. Um, it's just the mind. It's just the mind. None of it's true. <laughs> but it doesn't feel that way. It is very claustrophobic feeling. And um, something I've used that um, uh, may or may work for others is uh, my body. This body is with you wherever you go. <laughs> and just feeling into your body. So for me, I'll feel my feet on the floor. Or if I'm sitting at a desk, I'll feel myself sitting at a desk. And it just allows for all of this crazy thought that's going on that really can almost sense it. It's right about here. And just drop in. Even if it's for a couple minutes. It's really amazing. And it does. It kind of punctures through that solidity that you're talking about. And, uh, and then it might all come rushing back. But that's the practice, that's part of coming back, coming back, coming back. And you just might have to do it, you know, 20 times. But that's okay. It's like some days are like so many times, like it feels impossible, and other days it feels like I've made more perforations. Or yeah, yeah. Thank you. So... As you talk about um, just exploring your own practice and what what your practice means to you, something that came up to me um, or for me is well, first of all, Kate's my sister. <laughs> so what came up for me was way back when you first started uh, meditating and, and practicing. I remember Mom saying, "You know, this this practice is very selfish. It's very." It's very selfish what she's getting into. And I remember being really young and not really knowing much about Buddhism or not knowing much about meditation, being mm-hmm. like, yeah, Mom, <laughs> it is. You know, it's, it's, you know, Kate's developing her own spirituality and it's developing your own practice. And that's what it's, what it's about. And then it's about mm-hmm. teaching that, you know, mm-hmm. and it's about teaching how you as an individual has created that mindful practice and and sharing that so others can do the same you know mm-hmm. and I don't know what <laughs> came up for me and, uh-huh. um, and just and just being aware of that and being aware of the fact that you know this is for you for for your mind body heart and soul and that connection with yourself and and also bring that out into the world and into your community and mm-hmm. and um and sharing that and mm-hmm. so i thank you for 
for talking about that today. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> and it's it's so funny. Um, this practice really is about developing yourself, and um, but there's something that ends up trickling out to other people. Mindfulness is very contagious, first of all. When you're mindful and when you're centered, the people around you notice it. People around you start asking, what are you on? (laughs) What do you have that I don't have? And in that way, it begins this transformation of being about you to you being part of something so much bigger than just you. And so actually giving yourself this gift of mindfulness, of this gift of meditation, a practice of dharma, is actually a tremendous gift to everybody around you. It's a tremendous gift to society, to this world. I mean, it's to whatever's even bigger than that. It's, um, you're just part of, we're all just this little piece of something so much bigger. And all we can really do is work here. We can start here and then allow that to radiate out and affect our, our what's surrounding us. And maybe that field will get bigger and bigger and bigger. But um, it does start off as kind of a selfish practice. And it's really in a good way. There's um, my godmother... We, her name's Marilyn, and we always say she has Marilynisms, <laughs> and she has these wonderful little sayings that come out of nowhere. And one of them is, um, when you're on a plane and the plane starts going down, <laughs> and and you know the masks come down, they always say that you should first put on your mask and then assist the person next to you. And what she's saying really is that in order to help the people around you to be positively affecting the people around you, you have to affect yourself. You have to take care of yourself first. And you that's part of this practice, is really giving yourself that attention. The society, we often, there's sometimes a, a guilt that comes with that or... Um, um, a feeling of maybe I'm being selfish, you know, maybe that's kind of comes off in a negative way. And it's really, um, that's just not true. It's just not true. Because to really bring love to yourself and give yourself a gift like this, like mindfulness, um, is actually not that selfish. It's really... Um, well, like I said, it's really you helping yourself to help everybody else. So, yeah, thanks for saying that. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Uh, I've been practicing meditation for like two months, so I'm a really new beginner. Yeah. And each time I meditate, I, I try to pull like focus into my body mm-hmm. and just try to feel my body and... I always feel like a heaviness, like mm-hmm. or sometimes just pain in my arms and legs, and pretty much like 
lot most of my limbs. And when and it's interesting because when I'm focused on listening to you or uh-huh. or, do, or working in the daytime or I'm just doing something else which does I which I don't need to focus on my body, mm-hmm. I don't feel the pain, mm-hmm. or, or at least not that much. Mm-hmm. So. I'm not sure if you have that experience before, like why you feel the pain or like the, the stress, like or somehow heaviness in your body when you meditate. Mm-hmm. Is it so? It's a, is what you're feeling? It's a pain or it's a discomfort? Um, both. It's both. Yeah. It's definitely heavy. Yeah, a heaviness. Um, yeah, all kinds of stuff comes up when we're actually being present in our body and it's not always pleasant um, and that's okay it's nothing it doesn't mean you're doing something wrong or right or anything um, it's pretty common actually um, if you if it's distracting some people use it and they're able to really concentrate on it because it's so present right so pain is although probably de- certain degrees of pain um, there, there are some pains that um, you don't really want to focus on because it's too uncomfortable. But sometimes people use body discomfort or, or pain um, to focus their mind because it's so present. If it's, dis- if it's not comfortable, um, focus on something else if you can. Um, do you ever use your breath in a way somewhere that's not Related to the discomfort in your body? Um, not much. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm still friend new at this. Yeah, yeah I can try. Yeah. I may try that. Experiment. Mm-hmm. Play with it. This can be a playful uh, practice. In fact, um, last time I was here, that's what I talked about: was being playful with your practice and using a really curious mind like a scientific mind almost, of, you know, what if I did this? And, oh, no, I don't like that. What if I tried this? Oh, that's kind of nice for now. Or, you know, just explore it, play with it. And um, there's all kinds of material, I think probably even here. I bet Maureen and Aaron, who's here at the soundboard, um, could point you to literature or something about the different methods that are used, and even in breath, there's so many different methods. So it's really just experimenting and finding what works for you. And uh, so, yeah. Well, any idea of how we can actually make this happiness go away or probably, it's very hard to tell, right? To make it go away? Yeah, because so I think hard it's... for me to say, but, you know, in my experience, trying to make anything go away really doesn't work. In fact, it can increase it. It's kind of like, um, you know, swimming upstream. And the minute you just let go and lay on your back, you're just going to flow with it. And it's kind of like that. If you're fighting against something, trying to push the experience away, it will probably be more and more present and push back even harder. (laughs) That makes sense. So my suggestion is not to try and get rid of it. Um, of course, if there's something in your body that's really, really, really uncomfortable and just moving a little bit helps that, move. <laughs> there's no rule that says you have to, you know, sit like 
a stone or something, sit like a rock. But um, if it's something that's just there, then that's just what's going on. And maybe keeping in mind impermanence that, you know, it doesn't mean that it'll always be there. Um, It's just what's going on right now. Okay. Yeah. I enjoyed your talk. Uh, But what what came up for me was uh, that I think there can be a trap in when you you asked a question about, you know, what's your practice? And immediately you may think of the practice like your phrase, on the cushion. Mm. It's really off the cushion in our life and, and, and integrating in our life that's the real payoff. Mm-hmm. And there can be a uh, temptation to kind of look at the spiritual practice um, in kind of a formulaic way. Gee, I sat for th- 30 minutes. I, I did my spiritual thing today. Right. You know, I must be very spiritual. Right. Um, as opposed to, you know, just just developing it as part of your, your, uh, your life. So I, I like that. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and I like the idea of uh, little things like the phone and and the, the handle on the doorknob and so forth. Just little cues that you could use just to to kind of remind yourself to take that step back during the day. So I thought that was helpful. And I was talking to a friend about this, saying, you know, I think you can focus too much on the sort of what a spiritual practice looks like, but you know, the, what you do moment the moment in the day is, is critical. In fact, critical. In fact, I wondered, um, I wonder how much Dalai Lama meditates. Maybe he's not even meditating at his level. Mm-hmm. Then I found out he's meditating five hours a day. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> on the cushion. So that kind of blew my theory that maybe I was kind of beyond <laughs> that level. Uh, yeah. But still, your point's well taken. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's. It is <laughs> having, having that, that formal time. I really encourage people um, to have a, a uh, daily practice. And I am not sitting up here saying that I am always that good at it. Um, I go through waves of being able to sit every day and, and then, you know, a whole week will go by and I'll just, you know, there's dust on my cushion. So... It's not, you know, something, it's not another place to um, hold judgment as to how much you actually sit. But having that intention to sit every day um, can be really, I think, transformative in, your, in, in practice in general. Um, even if it's just sitting in... in on your cushion or on a chair, whatever whatever form you like to take, for five minutes, just taking the position of it as a reminder of this is important to me. This is you know this is what I'm I'm practicing for. Um, even if it's just to remind yourself, and some days you'll be able to sit longer. You know, just whatever works for you that day. It doesn't have to be. A chore, <laughs> you know, but it is it is really important, and it's very supportive of then what you do for the rest of your day. Um, so I don't want to take away from that part of it at all, which I'm, I'm glad that was clear. But just to reiterate that um, that formal practice is very important, but it is the beginning. Um, I often tell people. When I come out of a long retreat, I recently, um, just this summer, came out of a month-long retreat. 
And uh, people were just, oh, wow, that must have been incredible, and da-da-da. And my response would be, well, now it's, you know, that's just half of it. Now this is the second half, is coming out of retreat. Um, there's only so much you can do in retreat. There's no conflict. It's very cush. <laughs> it's good food. You know, you're definitely dealing with your mind. You get to look at that uh, face on. But it's when you come out that the practice, that's when you really see your practice. It's, it's, it's this. So, yeah. Hi, my name is Tanya. And um, you fill my heart with joy and happiness because I'm so happy to see that young people are getting into meditation. Uh-huh. I wish I was that young when I started. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to make two points uh, according to uh, Ken Wilber. Mm-hmm. If you meditate for four years, one hour a day, you, in his table, your level of consciousness goes up two points. Mm-hmm. And the other point... <laughs> and the... <laughs> No, it's, it doesn't go that high. But the, the bliss is the, is the highest point. And the other point that I'd like to uh, share, an exercise with you that I learned about the, because I also had discomfort sitting at first when I started on my back. And then I learned this exercise that you visualize. Always be aware of this light, white light on top of you coming down. And then you breathe it all the way. And when you breathe it out of your body, you visualize the smoke taking all the toxins, all the pain out of your body. And you keep doing that. And again, your mind is going to take you out of this exercise, but you keep coming back to it. And it makes you relax, you know, the white light going through you, through your breathing. And when you come out, you feel free of all your fears, all your pain. It works wonders for me. <laughs> um, to piggyback on that, <clears throat> I was thinking that the Tao Te Ching also encourages us to embrace our adversities. And and I think the awareness and, and being aware and acknowledging it is a way to embrace it instead of fighting it and letting it go. And um, So I'm not sure what else to say about that, but just not, as you said, not to fight it because a lot of times that's wasted energy. <clears throat> But the other thing, um, my practice, I feel, is also an awareness. And uh, the one thing I so appreciate about this practice is the lack of judgment. And it, it takes that judgment out of the thoughts. And the awareness is so simple. And when I can have those moments without judgment, it, it's so freeing. And it can help me feel so much more centered. So, as you were saying, then when I interact with other people, it's, uh, it just seems so much more clear to me. Mm-hmm. And um, perhaps to them, but I think it does uh, have a ripple effect, for sure. Yeah, yeah. thank you. 
this one. So maybe just this last one. Um, what, what everybody said sort of triggered a variety of things uh, in me. Um, I sort of see sitting, meditating. It's it's like playing an instrument. It takes daily practice, and it's good to have instructions. And it takes a while to kind of understand what's going on and what you're doing or not doing. Um, also, when the pain exists, especially when you're beginning, I remember uh, first starting out and you know all the discomforts would, would come about. And it occurred to me that it, it's sort of like you've never been in shape to this practice, and now you're asking it to do this very difficult thing. It's sort of like going to the gym and expecting to do 100 push-ups or, or something ridiculous. And it's, it's just going to be uncomfortable for a while. And you'll get better at it. And, mm-hmm. and it's not. And you won't even see the transition sometimes. Just like, oh, just doing it. Um, you know, those two things came up. That's great. That was so well said. Yeah. Okay, so let's end there because we've just got a couple more minutes. And I really like um, ending with a little bit of metta, which is a loving-kindness practice. Um, So I thought we could do that. This idea, another way to really bring this practice, now that I'm thinking of it, out into the world, out into our communities and families and workplaces is actually putting that intention of uh, well-being, wanting well-being for those around us and for ourselves. So, um, If you'd like, you can close your eyes and just taking a deep breath. And bringing attention to yourself, to your body, to your mind, wherever it may be going at this point. Seeing if, seeing if they can rest in this moment. And then bringing a warmth or a well-being, a feeling of well-being into your body, into your heart. May we be happy. May we be peaceful. May we awaken to the present moment. And then extending these wishes, this feeling of well-being out into our community, reaching out into our families, our workplace, our friends, 
reaching it out even further to our country, surrounding countries, the world, the universe. May we all be happy. May we all have ease and peace. May we all wake up to this present moment. Thank you all so much for coming. (laughs) It's really wonderful for me.